another joy of um, being in my role is that I get to visit churches around the Diocese of Sydney, uh, but also around the world and, and meet Christians following, following Christ, whether it's here or uh, in Tanzania or um, a month ago I was in Vanuatu with, with the Anglican Church there. It's amazing seeing what God is doing around the globe. So here we are. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, the, where are we? This, this afternoon. <laughs> Let's pray for God's help and for me especially. <laughs> Heavenly Father, uh, you have said in your word, you have called us to come near to you. And so we gather this evening and, and we do draw near to you and pray that you will come near to us, that you will wash us, that you will strengthen us, that you will fill us with your grace, that you will speak to us through your word, uh, that we might live the lives that you have uh, written in your book for us to live and walk in those, find those good works which you have ordained for us to do. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start with the question that James starts with, inspired by the Spirit of God. And it is, who is wise and understanding amongst you? Who is wise and understanding amongst you? Now, I'm not going to wait for, wait for hands up here. Um, we are going to look at uh, three things in this passage. The, firstly, two types of wisdom, which James presents to us, two types of friendship, and then how to respond. And along the way, I'm going to show a couple of videos which just kind of expand on the work showing you a, a bit more of a glimpse into what God is doing around the world through Anglican aid and also sort of tie it into as practical illustrations from what James is talking about here in this, uh, in this passage. So firstly, James highlights two, two kinds of wisdom. And it seems the reason why he asks who is wise and understanding is because the Christians he was writing to it seems as though they were good at talking about wisdom, but they weren't particularly good at putting into practice godly wisdom. So if you think back to chapter 1, you'll remember that these Christians, they were talking about being religious, but they weren't looking after orphans and widows in their distress, nor were they keeping themselves from being polluted by the world. Or in chapter 2, James wrote, that, wrote about those who say they have faith, but they don't have the works to back it up. So they say to the poor, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but they were turning their backs on actually helping. He wrote about how they say they keep the commandments, but instead of loving their neighbour as themselves, they are only really loving those who are rich. They seem good at talking, but not so good at living godly wisdom. And so that's why he wrote to them, saying in verse 13, so who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And so this is really a diagnostic question for them and for us. Is your wisdom resulting in a humble life of good deeds? Are you helping those in need? Or does verse 14 describe you better? Is your wisdom resulting in bitter envy and selfish ambition? 
Does your heart yearn to do good deeds to help others? Or is your heart full of ambition for yourself or your family or your business? James says in verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly and unspiritual, demonic. Very sobering to think that it's possible to follow wisdom which is demonic. But we only have to think of Eve in the Garden of Eden or we could think of Judas betraying Jesus to the chief priests to recognise that there is wisdom that is demonic. And James says such wisdom leads to every evil practice. So there is heavenly wisdom and there is earthly wisdom. But verse 17, he says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, what's it like? Well, it is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now, we could pick apart each one of these and say, well, what what do these things mean in real life? Um, But I want to highlight these other characteristics of Jesus. If you want to know what these look like in real life, look at the real life of Jesus. And so, for example, if we uh, want to know what it means to be peace-loving and submissive, look at Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, blessed are the peacemakers... And he showed that when he talked about peace, he didn't just mean an absence of hostility. He was meaning restoring wholeness and relationship. Wholeness of life and and relationship with one another and with God. So when Jesus, the peacemaker, went into the temple and found it turned into a marketplace, what did the peacemaker do? This is what peacemaking looks like. He turned over the tables so that people could access peace with God. Or when Jesus met a woman with a flow of blood, what did the peacemaker do? Well, he overturned the sickness, bringing her peace, and said to her, now, go in peace. Peace, much more than an absence of hostility. And so when confronted with the sin of the world, which of course destroys peace, what did Jesus do? Well, he submitted himself to the Father's will. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, to take away sin, pay the penalty for our salvation. So there is biblical wisdom. Submission to God to promote peace, holistic peace. And this is not just something for Sunday or something to talk about. It is an all-of-life thing, as Jesus demonstrates. And verse 18 drives this home. It's a little bit tricky to translate this into English, but the NIV translates, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, that translation makes it sound a little bit like the peace. It's the peacemakers who are reaping the harvest. And to a certain extent that is true, but the meaning is actually broader. God's people are peacemakers who actively sow peace and the harvest or the fruit of righteousness grows up for the good of all. Not just for the Christian, for all. One thing I love about Anglican Aid is that it provides a mechanism for uh, Sydney Anglicans to be involved in good works and peacemaking in some of the neediest places around the world. Uh, So we are concentrating, as I mentioned, on the poorest 
places in the world and where, where the church is poorest or suffering persecution. And one of the organizations we support is the Kalahewat Evangelical Church. It's a de- denomination in Ethiopia, a large um, evangelical denomination in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. And you may have seen this region in the news that there's been essentially civil war going on in Tigray and ethnic conflict and violence. Well, Kalahewa is planting churches in tribal and Muslim areas and bringing people together for peace and reconciliation training. And they talk about the gospel of peace. They talk about the gospel of reconciliation with, with God. And people are turning to Christ and churches are being planted. It's, it, it's astonishing, this work. And these workshops are so valued that they have now been invited by, um, by local leaders to do training in 16 districts to do peacemaking. And then just last week, and I mentioned this because you may have heard it on the news, uh, a um, cessation of hostilities agreement was signed, effectively bringing to an end the civil war in Ethiopia, which is fantastic news. And the government has appointed head mediators in each district to oversee the reconciliation process. Now, this is a region where 0.2% of people are evangelical Christians in this region of Ethiopia. But of the peacemakers, the mediators appointed by the government, half of them are evangelical Christians. 0.2% Christian, but 50% of the mediators are Christian. Now, why is this? Well, this is showing the wisdom of God that comes down from heaven that has empowered these few Ethiopian Christians to be active peacemakers in their region. And God has put it on the heart of Christians in Sydney to to also support this ministry, to support this peacemaking ministry and discipleship ministry, church planting ministry through Anglican Aid. And the fruit of righteousness is growing up um, for the good of all in Tigray and Ethiopia. Uh, we are doing some similar projects in northern, uh, northern Kenya, northern, northern Nigeria. And since um, we've just recently had the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, I wanted to show you, a, it's a four-minute video from Nigeria where we see what the church is doing there um, with support of Christians in Sydney uh, to bring about peace and also put into practice some of what James has been talking about in this book. In 2021 in Nigeria, more than 4,500 Christians lost their lives and over 10,000 Christians were displaced from their homes due to attacks from Islamist militants. Through the generosity of Australian Christians, Anglican Aid has been able to supply food and housing materials to some of these victims. Importantly, we know that many of you are also praying for them and they are deeply grateful for this. Archbishop Ben Kwashi from the Diocese of Jos in Nigeria asked us to share this message with you. Greetings, dear friends. When it comes to the subject of persecution, I really don't find it easy to to speak because I think that I am privileged by God to be alive. Uh, Myself, my wife and our children have had attempts on our lives, uh, destruction of our property in some cases, and severe injuries to my family in some cases. But we are alive. 
And that makes it difficult for me to speak because many people have lost their lives that I know about, that we have records of, particularly in Plateau State and in the dioceses here. Persecution has impacted us um, big time. But what it has done that gives me joy and encouragement is that it has made our story be turned into prayers around the world. And that we are alive and many, many Christians are surviving and not just surviving, they are thriving in their faith is because of the prayers of people like you in Australia and other parts of the world, many of whose prayers we will never know until we get to Jesus. And I believe that the church in the persecuted areas that I lead are hanging on the wings of your prayers. This is a tremendous encouragement for us. It's worth more than gold. But secondly, persecuted has helped us to practically demonstrate the love of God to one another. The churches all over, the Roman Catholics, Anglicans, SUM, SIM, all have different centers of looking after the people who have no homes and children who have become orphans and vulnerable. What a joy to see the church responding to biblical injunctions of loving one another and caring for the poor, for widows, and for the fatherless and helpless. I am personally grateful for the friendship, for the fellowship that has brought us so far and yet so close by prayer and through the media. God bless you and thank you very, very much. This International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians, please join us in praying for Christians in Nigeria and others suffering persecution for the name of Christ. Pray that they may continue to stand firm in their faith in the Lord Jesus and bring glory to his name. So one of the things that Anglican Aid is able to do is to link you uh, with what God is doing around the world and that your dedication to peacemaking may not just be for the benefit of people in Northbridge or around Australia, but also, in fact, around the world. And as Archbishop Ben uh, mentioned, that's not just meaning a financial contribution, although that may be part of it, but also in prayer we can support those who are making peace. What he didn't mention, by the way, well, many things he didn't mention, but one was that he personally, with his wife Gloria, they have taken in around 80 uh, orphans who have, been, who have lost their parents, mostly through... Um, well, their parents have been killed, and they have taken in 80 orphans into their home. <laughs> They've had to extend their home repeated times to be able to care for these children. They've actually built a school on their, on their property as well. So they are people who really are putting into practice what, we have been, what you've been looking at in the book of James, and it's a privilege to be in partnership with people like that. You may also know that he's one of the leaders of the GAFCON movement,
So there are two types of wisdom, wisdom from heaven and wisdom from earth. And I'll talk quickly about two types of friendship now, uh, friendship with the world or friendship with God. And you notice that James starts this section with another question, chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, it's sad that he's writing to the church. I wonder if there have ever been fights and quarrels in this church or in your household. He says, verse 2, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, what is the problem here? You are adulterous, says James, verse 4. You adulterous people. You are unfaithful to God. He's speaking to the professed Christian who thinks, when I'm in church and with Christians, I'll act like a Christian and I'll act under the eye of God. But when I'm in the world, well, I'll follow the wisdom of the world. You adulterous people, says the Apostle James. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's like Jesus saying, whoever puts their hand to the plough and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. So, whose side are you you on, he's saying? Are you friends with the world? Or are you friends with God? Well, how does God respond to his adulterous people, both then and now? Well, there is an amazing reassurance here in verse 5. We read there, He is jealous for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, so he gives us more grace. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown his spirit that he has placed in us, says the Apostle Paul in a similar verse. So he gives us more grace. So there are two types of wisdom. Maybe you know that you're attracted to following the wrong type. And friendship with the world is adultery. Maybe this has resulted for you in selfish ambition and envy. Or maybe you're not really seeing the fruit of good works um, uh, growing up in your life. Maybe you're not seeing a harvest of righteousness in your life. Maybe you do find yourself running after the things of this world. Maybe you are adulterous, to use James' language. Well, there's a promise in verse 6 for you. His spirit is in you, so he gives more grace. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who turn to him. We've already spoken earlier in the service about the forgiveness, the cleansing from sin that comes through the Lord Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. So how do we respond to that grace? Well, verses 7 to 10 show how to respond. Submit yourselves to God. Submission to God brings good fruit. Submission, you submit yourselves, verse 7, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve. And there is a time to grieve, you notice. Maybe that time is right now for you. Tonight, to grieve over lost time, to grieve over lost opportunity, to grieve over lost direction, lost innocence. There is a time when God calls us to stop and pause and grieve and mourn and wail, he says here. He piles up the imperatives. He calls and calls and calls because he really wants us not to brush this off but to humble ourselves. The world says, laugh it off, but God says to us here, change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves. Ask yourself if instead of seeking the kingdom of God and the wisdom of God, you are seeking the wisdom of the world to gain the world. And ask yourself if instead of producing the fruit of righteousness, you are producing the fruit of envy and selfish ambition. And then ask if you need to humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. And what does he say? What is the promise? And he will lift you up. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful response, a beautiful answer, a promise. He will lift you up. He will give you the grace to overcome the world. He will give you the grace to overcome the devil. He will give you the grace to resist sin. He will give you the grace to be peace-loving and full of mercy and good fruit. Humble yourself, he says, and God will lift you up. I want to show you another video to finish, which is a video from Madagascar, uh, where we see people living in some of the most humble circumstances in the world, one of the most poorest countries in the world, and how God is working there to produce a harvest of righteousness. Let's watch this together. The Archbishop of Sydney's Anglican Aid is partnering with the Anglican Church in Madagascar to help them be the hands and feet of Jesus in their communities, just as we're partnering with 130 other Christian organisations around the globe. In Madagascar, our partnership has grown since Berthia Lenarina visited Sydney in 2019. Berthia shared about the urgent need for trustworthy Bible teaching in his country. Together with generous Christians in Australia, Anglican Aid has worked with Berthia to train church leaders using the Moore College PTC course translated into the local language. Since then, we've grown our partnership to include sponsoring 13 Bible College students from right across Madagascar. When a terrible famine struck southern Madagascar in 2020, hundreds of people in the area perished from starvation. So through Anglican Aid, Believers in Sydney raised over $20,000 for rice, beans and water, which was distributed by the church. This practical love, accompanied by the gospel, has had a dramatic impact in the region, with many saying, what religion is this that cares? As a result, church leaders have recently baptised well over 1,000 new believers, and 13 village leaders have asked for new churches to be started in their villages. One of the new converts is over 100 years old and was a respected witch doctor in his village. He turned to Christ, burned all his charms and books overflowing with joy. In March 2021, God sent rain. This is the fifth site of our 
food distribution. As you can see now, uh, they are sharing foods. Once again, we want to thank Anglicanet for providing these foods. Thank you for your support. May God bless you. And we also thank God that we now have bread by God's grace, by God's blessing. So praise the Lord. Praise God indeed. God is using your aid agency, the Archbishop of Sydney's Anglican Aid, to strengthen churches and transform communities around the world. With your support, we have now supplied seedlings for food crops, and we are working with the church to build water security infrastructure like rainwater tanks to provide our brothers and sisters with life-saving water for the long term in Jesus' name. Most people in this region are illiterate, so to help new believers grow in Christ, Anglican Aid is working with Wycliffe and Mega Voice to send audio Bibles through local churches so that people can hear the Word of God in their own language. The need for pastor teachers continues to grow, so we pray that more churches in Sydney will get involved in training future church leaders through our Bible College Student Sponsorship Program. Please keep us in your prayers and find out how your church can be more involved by visiting anglicanaid.org.au. Now that video, as you would have heard, is a little over a year old, uh, but I was in there, I was there in April, and I went to some of these villages where people had, had been dying of starvation, and I met um, people who had received that food aid and who had heard the gospel preached alongside it and who'd become Christians. And I, and I went to all of these new, brand new churches um, that had grown up amongst, as I said, some of the most humble. God is lifting up the humble in, in Madagascar. And there are people in Madagascar entering the kingdom of God ahead of the wealthy uh, in Australia in the wisdom of God. And that is also happening through the support of generous people in, in Australia through Anglican aid. What is happening there? Well, God is essentially bringing, I think, revival in Madagascar. Uh, you heard how there were 13 Bible College students that we were sponsoring there. Because so many new churches are growing up, there is a massive need for training up new people. And so Berthier, the principal of the Bible College, called me in, in about June or July and said, we have now had 80 applications from bishops to send, their, to send students to study at the college, all these keen students. Could you sponsor 80 students this year instead of 13? We said, Berthier, we can't jump up that high. But we had a bit of haggling and we said, well, we'll sponsor 50. So we are sponsoring 50 students at that Bible College, um, and the way we the way we do this is we do look for sponsors in Australia for seventeen hundred dollars tax deductible. You can sponsor a, a student, and if you're interested in doing that, um, there's a there's a brochure up the back. But I also want to mention I didn't have a video of Mount Kilimanjaro Diocese where Joshua Lasenko is working, and you have a link with him as a church, uh, also through Anglican Aid, and in that diocese in in Mount Kilimanjaro Diocese in Tanzania. I went and visited well, there in April as well, and the bishop there, um, Stanley Hotte, said, in the last two years we have planted 420 churches. He said, so the work that Joshua and other evangelists are doing is bearing tremendous fruit as they go out to remote villages and share the gospel. But we need to train up now leaders for all of these brand new 420 churches, and they're building schools as well. 
And so he, he said, could we support? Um, this, is, this is what happens in my role. I go, I go somewhere and I get all these amazing, I mean, meet, see what God is doing, but then I have to come back and think, how can I find the money to uh, be able to support some of, these, some of these things? But we have this astonishing opportunity to be in partnership. And so thank you to those in this church who have been supporting Joshua and his ministry in Tanzania. Coming back to the, so coming back to the text, uh, we see that God promises to lift up the humble and to give us grace. There are two types of wisdom. There are two types of friendship. So who is wise and understanding among you here in Northbridge? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Submit yourselves to God, therefore. Behind me is an illustration of Jesus submitting himself to God. As he prayed in the garden before going to the cross and God lifted him up and he is our pattern and our model. Let me pray that we would follow him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus to save us, he who humbled himself even to death on a cross, who submitted himself to you so that he might bring us peace. Lord, you lifted him up and seated him at the right at your right hand. And we pray that we might also, following his example, be peacemakers, live lives of good deeds, follow your wisdom, and we pray that you will give us grace to follow his example. In Jesus' name, amen.